everybody, and welcome to another episode of Book Goodies Author Interview Series of Podcasts. I'm Deborah Carney, your host, and I'm joined today by children's illustrator and author, Richie Freeman. Hi, Richie. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing good. I, I can't wait to talk to you because I haven't interviewed any children's authors yet and children's book authors. And... Um, I have a special place in my heart for illustrators, people who can draw, something I can't do. I'm a, I'm a professional photographer, but I can't draw to save my life. So, Well, I'm happy to be on here. I really appreciate the time. No problem. Why don't you um, go ahead and introduce yourself and um, let our folks know, you know a little bit about you. Well, my name is Richie Freeman. I'm 33 from Baltimore, Maryland. Um, this is actually my second children's picture book. I uh, both wrote and illustrated. The current book is called Purple, Always Dream Bigger. And this is a follow-up to my 2008 release, Purple, The Sky is Just a Start. And, um, and like I said, I wrote and illustrated the book. Um, it's a rhyming, it's a rhyming goodnight book, uh, Purple, Always Dream Bigger. And I, uh, really fell in love with the character when I first created him, um, you know, about five or, five or six years ago and then finally put it to paper. Um, in 2008, and um, right when I was getting ready, right when we had my uh, my first child, and ironically, uh, this came out as my uh, wife was pregnant with our second child. So, uh, children's books have always been a passion of mine. I've always wanted to them um, ever since I was a child and growing up, and um, I've been an artist pretty much my entire life. And uh, being able to actually put a book in a in a physical form and to uh, put everything down that I've been thinking and working on for years. And, it's a it's a great feeling to have, and I'm I'm hoping that people will, will see that and enjoy it. Now, are you um, a pen to paper artist, or are you a digital artist? You're able to to do it right on the computer. Well, I'm actually a, originally a, a pen and paper artist. Um, my specialty is illustration and painting, um, but I've also I'm also a professional graphic designer um, as well, and in, in in the graphic arts. So I do both really. Um, and it really just depends on how I do, on what illustration I'm working on, and really which which work of art. For purple, uh, purple was hand drawn, and then I put it onto the computer, uh, and made it uh, and made it easier for me to uh, you know adapt colors and shading and, and different things like that. So, and purple and purple book is all done on the computer, but first hand drawn. Nice. And um, I, I know other folks that have done it that way, too. That's why I asked that, you know, they had the hand-drawn, and then they scanned it, and then they recreated it, and then they, um, you know, perfected it or whatever on the on the screen because we can do that now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you and screw it, something it, up on the sounds, paper, you're, you're, you're screwed. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the thing. And, you know, it sounds... It, it, it's almost like a double test because you take the time to draw and you put it, you scan it, and then you have to go ahead and trace it, um, or and then you know now you have it, and it, like you said, it is easier to change things when you're painting. I mean, I've painted pictures of purple and um, and had to, you know, I get to a certain spot and I get I have another idea and I'm like, ah, oh, I'm gonna scratch this and throw it over. And once the paint's put down, it's you gotta paint it over and it takes a little bit of time. And depending on what kind of exactly what kind of paint you're using, whether it's oil or acrylics or water, it's it gets difficult. So the luxury of graphics is the instant uh, flexibility to change things around. Um, but uh, like, I, but to me, there really is nothing better than actually using paint um, and pens and um, and uh, pencils. Yeah, so unfortunately, that's, that's, we my, can't, that's my true passion. Unfortunately, we can't paint right on the computer so other people can see it. 
<laughs> we, we would have we'd be going through a lot of laptops. Um, yeah. <laughs> so now you said the inspiration was um, you had had your first child and you were waiting for your second child to be born. And did the did the had the stories been percolating in your mind before that, or did they come from reading to your first um, child? Well, actually, it's funny. You know, I had um, I've always been working on stories in the back of my mind and, and putting them down on paper and putting them to the side and coming back to them whenever I when when I felt more confident at the time. And uh, I released Turple in 2008, and I actually had another children's book that I had already written, and I started drawing it and. Um, I was trying to pursue for publication, and I I thought that was going to be the one that I was going to run with. And then all of a sudden, I got an idea about Turple. Um, really started to fall in love with the character and started to fall in love with the um, with the rhyming and the meter that was going to follow the story. And I decided to actually go along with the Turple character instead. And I still have the other one. I just keep it. I'm actually I used a couple of lines for Turple itself. But um, once I started to create Turple in general, I went. I knew that I was. I fell. I really just fell in love with being able to um, tell his story. And then, as after my first book was done, I just kept on taking notes and kept on taking notes. And you know, I have about four other books written now, but um, you know that are that I have not published. And, you know, I keep them on the shelf, waiting for the time when I feel comfortable to put another one out. But um, and that basically little notes here and there and little things or little instances in life that came up that I thought would be a good part of the story was really what led me to really start going uh, full speed with uh, Turple Always Dream Bigger. Okay. Can you tell me a little bit about Turple so so our listeners can kind of give them an idea is what what kind of a character, um, you know, if you can describe in words what he looks like and... Turple is a, a, a young, imaginative, courageous little turtle. Um, he is always shown wearing a blue sweatshirt with Madras pants. Um, if you ever know what Madras patchwork pants are, and um, so he's, he's got quite a little fashion thing going on. But um, he's, you know, it, we don't really say his age in the book. Um, size-wise, he's about, you know, about the size of a four, about a four-year-old or five-year-old. But he has that very childlike imagination to always dream outside the box and the fact that everything is, is possible when you dream enough. And um, so I'd like to fill them up with a little bit more uh, serious quotes that the parents, I hope, I think will really enjoy too and take back. So um, he, uh, he lived in the pond, and the first book was about him wanting to journey outside of the pond and see the world around him. And this book right now is uh, Turkle Always Dream Bigger is about is a good night book, um, like I said, where we show, we're, we're seeing him in the room and we meet his parents and we uh, see the love that they have for him and the good night story to read to him as well. So it's, um, he's, he's been a lot of fun. I've been able to adapt him to a lot of different other situations, so it's been a real joy. That that sounds beautiful. I um, <laughs> I don't I don't have any little kids anymore, but it sounds like something that I would want to take a gaze at and read anyway. So um, that that's really cool. And you know, and that's how you. I mean, you got to get kids to like it. But you're you have a double edged sword. You have to write for kids, but the shoppers are the parents. Well, that's and that's really how the children's book industry in general works. Um, you know, yes, kids go to bookstores and they pick up the books they like, but obviously in the end it is the parents. The parents are the ones, you know, paying the bills and making sure and taking care of the books. And the reason why, when I when I look, when I, when I became a parent, you know, my, my idea about children's writing in general 
totally changed. Mm-hmm. Um, I was seeing the books that we were getting my daughter, that friends were getting her daughter, and what was available. And um, a lot of times, I kind of felt like I was being robbed a little bit. Um, and I and I say that not because of the price; I say that because of the content. Um, and, and bear in mind, I'm not trying to say that purple that my character is the end all be all of uh, you know literature. But right. what I mean by that is that I, I felt that in within two minutes, my daughter was done the book, or we were done reading to her, and I just paid a couple bucks or, you know, 10 bucks to read this book, and it had a couple pretty pictures in there. But aside from that, it was lacking any other form of substance. And when I spoke with other parents um, and friends of ours and family members, they, the parents got a little tired of reading certain books. And um, it was something that I had to really think about when I was going to put my book out is, you know, yes, I want, my, I want children to enjoy my book, but I also want the parents to enjoy the book, too, so they can actually... When they're reading a book, it's not something, it's not a chore. It's more something that they enjoy. Yeah, uh, when I read my When I read to my daughter, it's, it's, it's a fantastic time of the day um, that we can just have together. My wife's, you know, when my wife is reading to her, um, and it's, it's time that's very special time to me. And that actually was the reason why my second book, uh, The One Now Now, is actually a good night book because at the night time is always, always book time, I think, in every family, mm-hmm. um, right before you go to bed. And I wanted to leave a book for my daughter and now my son that, that's uh, two months old that, to know that this is something as really as I'm talking to them when I wrote this book. And I'm thinking about them at all times whenever I do anything uh, revolving my, you know, any, everything in my day, especially my artwork. And they're the real reason why and they're the main focus in everything I do. So I want them to be entertained and I also want the parents to be able to look at the word, read, read the story and think of the words and not just ink on a page. Um, and that, that's my goal. Whether or, not I, whether or not I achieve that all the time, I don't know, but I hope that's, that's my mission at least. Well, and that's a really good mission to have. And like you said, you're around other parents. So, you know, for our, our um, listeners that may be writing children's books and maybe struggling a little bit, maybe you need to go to, uh, you know, toddler's playgroup or, you know, somehow... I mean, people without children can write children's books, obviously, but maybe you need to um, immerse yourself in a family situation or be around uh, one of your friends with kids when they're reading stories to their children at night, and then you can see the interaction and the, you know, what makes the kid, what makes the child uh, smile, what makes the mother happy or the dad, whoever's reading you know, just, just kind of watch and be in that place. Because like you said, you were writing already, but, and you were buying books for your child and, and you found it a hole in, in what you were buying. And you decided to fill that hole with something that was higher quality. And whether it's higher quality in just your mind, it's going to be higher quality in other people's minds too. Yeah, and, and I don't, you know, and again, I don't want to take away from any other books. I mean, there are tremendous, tremendous books out there. Um, it's just a certain level of, uh, I just, I think that everybody knows, and this is not just with children's books, um, and, you know, children's books is, is my world, but um, even if you look at just other novels or nonfiction books, or even if it's just a, a card you get somebody, uh, there's a certain line of, uh, of work that goes into something, and I think you can see that pretty clear. Um, so when I wanted to do my, when I wanted to write a book, I could have, I could have gone two routes. I could have really put my entire heart and energy into something, or I could have checked out and put something in there with a goofy, couple goofy sayings and um, a goofy character and called it a day and two people said. Mm-hmm. So I, I hope 
that people think that I took the higher road of the two. <laughs> but again, it's all up to interpretation. At the end of the day, um, you know, I write because, and I write and I draw really because it's what I enjoy. Um, it's what I love to do, and, and I and I hope that, you know, that my family and friends enjoy what I write. And if anything else aside from that is, you know, again, just another icing on top. But I think you know, whenever you're going to go ahead into uh, into any field, you just got to do the research. And I didn't want to copy anybody. I didn't want to be looked at as someone as the, the such and such of someone else. Um, and I didn't want to be able to create. I didn't want to create, have to, at the end of the day, come up with a character. I think it's fantastic and find out there's another one out there just like him right. or her. And so that was one of my fears too. So I really had to do some research. And I think that's just general, the general actions of any kind of writer. Well, and that's that's a really good point because you know if you if you read a book and you like it and then you you strive to do something that's the same thing, you're not you're not filling a new need. You're just you know. You're you're co- you're copying the idea and making it your own, you know, turning it into your own work. And instead, you are what you're doing is what writers should do, which is do your research and see what's out there and do something different. You know, um, don't be the same big purple bear or I don't even remember what blue was. Yeah. <laughs> don't no, try to be true. blues clues all over again, you know. Just uh make your own character and you know, you've got something in your own head that's different from everybody else's. Yeah, and that's it's, it's, that was my goal. You know, I, I didn't you know, I, I purple really came from you know, came from a part of me and trying to figure out what he was gonna be in the physical was just something that I could do personally to make sure that he wasn't there wasn't anybody out there that looked like him. I mean Let's be honest. There are turtles in in children's literature. There are frogs. There are bears. There are dogs. I mean, there's only so many physical, even aliens. There's only so much you think you can come up with. <laughs> yeah. You know, as long as they're different. I mean, it's like saying I can. There's only there's no detectives in fiction or anything. Only one. Right. So you have to really. It's okay to do something that is somewhat that kids like, um, but you know, just add your own twist to it. Make it make it your own, and then that's kind of what makes um, other books stand out. Now, you said that you had been writing and then Turple came to you like after you already started writing. When you when you got the idea for Turple, did the illustrations come first or did the did the words come first? The words came first, um, you know, and it was weird. It was, it was almost became a, uh, almost an obsessive act, really. It was, I would, I, I once I, I, a couple lines would come to me, and you know, because purple, my books rhyme. Um, so a lot of times I'm starting to think in rhyme, and I'm starting to like, you know, put words together. And so I would almost, I look at it really as like a puzzle. And I had the end all, the overall uh, design, and, you know, uh, written down of what I wanted. I wanted the book to flow a certain way, and this is how we were going to end. But I, um, words were just com- things would come to me, or I'd see something. I'd, or I'd watch my, I'd watch my child, or. I'd watch, um, you know, be walking down the street or something, and I would have to write it down. I mean, I, I was, it got to a point really where I was pulling over the side of the road to write something down on a piece of paper. I, I was done. When I was walking my dog, I would type things on my phone. I mean, this is just, it, it's how I do things. I don't, I don't necessarily recommend it or anything, but it was, it was very, it was, it was quite, um, you know, cause it's all consuming. But that's how, that's just how I operate. I, I, I have to, 
I'm the, I am extremely terrified about thinking about something and then forgetting it the next day. Um, and I think that I just think about all the other all famous lines that are in every single movie or every single um, quote from a TV show that if someone forgot to write that down, that would totally change the entire scope of the of the of the piece. Yeah. So to me, that that just drives me nuts worrying that that might happen. So I do whatever I can to write it down. So once I started writing it down again, it was like a puzzle. And I had it in mind, and, um, you know, and I wanted to make them wear mattress pants. You know, I love mattress pants. I think they're the coolest things in the world. So I thought that would be a really fun thing to do and make them a little hip. And, um, and so, and the sweatshirt was cozy, and every little kid, you know, you see them walking, all the little kids always love wearing, like, you know, hoodies and jackets and sweatshirts or zip-ups. So something that the kids would like, too. Um, but, uh, and, and they seem to really like his pants. That seems to be a big hit. But <laughs> that's so that. It really started to come over time, but uh, the word the word came first. Well, and and that there was you know, and that's why I asked because like I'm a professional photographer. Like I said, I can't draw worth a darn, but I can take a bunch of pictures and then I can um, string them together and create a story out of them. But um, I, I like that you wrote the words first, and I, I have to tell you that up until today. Um, with my interviews, no one admitted to like writing while, you know, pulling the car over and writing stuff down. And earlier today I had a woman who told me that she took her laptop everywhere, you know, like she's a, a mom of three, you know, uh, preteens and, and teens and she's always on the go. So she says yeah. she takes her laptop everywhere and she can just open it up and start writing. And I'm like, well, that doesn't fit. You know, I mean, you know, writers are people who can't only, you know, they can only write sitting at their desk and, you know, they can only do it while they're, if they're not concentrating on it and, you know, isolating themselves from the world, how can you write? And I guess in our, in our new society, if you want to call it that, you know, I mean, when you get an idea, like you said, write it down, pull over to the side of the road, talk into your telephone or type into your telephone just enough words that you can remember it when you get home and, and be able to put it in the computer. Yeah, and I definitely make time for things. I definitely have a certain time I'm going to sit down, I'm going to write, I'm going to draw, um, you know, I'm going to do research, whatever it may be. But if something comes to me, I, I pretty much stop whatever it is I'm doing, wherever I am, to make sure I can jot it down. Even if it's just a word or two or like a quick sketch of something, you know, and I'll do that as well, just so I know mentally what that means to me. It's, you know, like putting a little ribbon on your finger to remind yourself to do something later. Yep. To me, it might be a scribble scrabble, but I know exactly what that is. <laughs> and I knew what that, I know, I know what, I know what I mean. So when I get home, I can make, I can make sense of it. So, um, but, and that was just, that was just the way I, I could do things. I, I saw no other way to, to, uh, to work without doing it at that moment. So sometimes it was very inconvenient, but it had to be done. So <laughs> that's right. the only way I can look at it. Right. Um, you know, obviously we don't want you cutting across three lanes of traffic to pull over at the side yeah. and write down a sentence. I don't recommend that. <laughs> I don't uh, recommend that, but um, now uh, tell me how you um, got published. You, you're, you're traditionally published, and, you know, what was your process that you went through to get published, and why did you choose the traditional route instead of um, independently? Well, the first book that I put out was independently published. I mean, it, the, I was—I've been trying to get—I've been trying to get published for years and years. It just wasn't happening. And, you know, even even working with agents was is, is a very very hard thing to do. And um, I had a couple here and there, but it just wasn't really working out for me. And um, when I was working with this book, I had the book, and 
I'm actually, I, I, I'm also a, a manners and etiquette columnist um, for quickanddirtytips.com. I'm known as the uh, Modern Manners Guy, and that's for Macmillan Publishing. And um, it wasn't even a way to get into Macmillan Publishing. They're the biggest guys in the world. Right. Um, but I didn't go to I didn't go to them, um, and it wasn't a. Um, so when I wanted to when I wanted to put this out, some colleagues of mine were putting together a group, um, and I was working with them, and it was small, but it was worth a shot. And I knew what I wanted to do, and I knew that if we worked hard, we could market it, we could sell it. And you know, the publishing world is kind of funky that way. Uh, things nowadays, if you have the ability or you have the um, the know-how to get certain things done, big or small, if you believe in the work, that's the end all of it. Um, it's, it's, it's just the way, it's, it's the way the, the music industry is now. Um, it's the way a lot of other, a lot of other entertainment industries are where the little gems can kind of rise to the top if you, if you really work hard at it. Granted, we're not where we want to be. You know, we hope that everybody will join, will enjoy the story all over the place, but, um, I wrote, I would rather start small with people I know and people I enjoy than um, kind of get lost in the herd and not yep. really be able to speak my own voice. Yep, that would be that. That's that's one of the re- uh, recurring themes. Also, um, is that um, you know even as far as publishing houses will buy up manuscripts that they never plan to publish just because they're similar to something that they. Um, that they already have in the pipeline, and they don't want the competition. So, you know. Yeah, well, and, yeah, and, and mainstream, and main, you know, large publishing houses. Again, I, you know, I, I can't, I can't say. I, I think they're all fantastic. I have nothing negative to say of them whatsoever. Um, I think that, I think that if you if you're able to work with large publishing houses and they'll pick you up, I mean, it's a lot easier. It definitely, definitely is. And, and even running from it now in publishing. They're fantastic, mm-hmm. you know, and I, everybody that I've worked with has been fantastic. Um, but it was one of those things where wherever I was going to go get published, and again, I mean, you know, when 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 the colleagues of mine and we got together, this was seemed to be the best route, and I didn't want to wait. I was very impatient. I am very impatient. So working with other people that I didn't know, things just took longer. So here it was, I had a smaller group. Um, we were still going to put out a book. We were still going to sell a book. We were still going to market a book. And in the end, doing the same exact thing. So that's why it worked out this way for me. Um, but again, you know, large or small publishing houses, it really comes down to what you want to put out. If the quality is good, then, then that's what makes good company. Yep. And now your second book is going to be published the same way or differently? Well, no, the first book I put out independently. Um, right. I went to, I went because I was, you know, just, I was much younger and I didn't, I was very green and I wasn't, and I wanted, but I was very eager. Okay. And I learned as I went. I learned as I went. But this one was the one that we worked, that we worked with, um, I worked with colleagues of mine to put together a group. Okay. Awesome. And then now that you've, um, you know, you've got, you decided how to publish and then especially the book that you indie published, what were some of the things you did to market the book? Because, you know, you get to you get to do the fun stuff, you know, the writing and the illustrating, and then you're all done, and now you have to market the book. Yeah, yeah, market, you know, marketing's actually, it's, it's, I really enjoy marketing, um, you know, I have a marketing background as well, so it's something that I, that, that I do enjoy doing, but um, there was also, I, I realized that I would get the most results out of doing things that I enjoyed. Uh, for a turtle, when I decided to put out this book, uh, Always Dream Bigger, I made a I made a pact to myself, and I made it as public as anybody wanted to listen that 
I've been donating a portion of the profits every month to a different charity, and I've been able to do that so far, and I'll keep doing that for the life of everything I do at Turple, uh, for those Turple's books. And, you know, I, I wasn't, I realized that, um, you know, you can look at it as marketing, but there's also a part where, um, you know, I, I work with charities to let them know what I'm doing, and we don't only just say, look, tell your people about my book, and we're going to donate money to you at the end of the month. That's that's really kind of way of checking out. We um, we work with we work with charities to spread their words. We go and read books to the kids. We help out when we can and we attend events. Um, we donate whatever we can when we can, and we're really joining partnerships with other people around our community. And that's just not in my immediate community, but really across across the globe. And that's what we're trying to do. Um, but it was really a way of allowing me uh, to get out in front of people that I didn't know before, and I, that is. That's the biggest thing. I, a lot of a lot of writers and a lot of artists get kind of shy, and I totally understand that. But sitting in your house and sitting behind your computer all day is really not going to get anybody noticed. You really have to get yourself out there and be willing to speak to people and be willing to talk to people, and that's that's kind of the best way. Let them know who you are, and I think that's um, uh, something that if you if you're willing to take that leap, people really appreciate your time. Well, and I love that you're doing that because, like you said, if you just say, oh, I'm going to give money to a charity, and then, you know, you cut them a check, you don't, you're still not personally involved, and people will be like, oh, okay, he's just another guy giving some money to charities. But when you do actually, like you said, you get out there, you volunteer, you do readings, you know, you meet the people, um, and you get the books in their hands, that's, that is actually um, a wonderful change and a way to take it up a notch in a way that is you're basically paying it forward. You know, like you're not even banking on getting book sales from it. You're just doing it because you think it's the right thing to do. And in doing so, people will look at your book and tell their friends and say, hey, you know, this guy did this, and this book is really cool. You should get it. You know, I think your kids will enjoy it. So you've um, you've hit upon something that maybe other authors may have thought about. They have charities they support, but didn't really take it to that next uh, to that next level. Well, yeah, but it, it, and I and I agree, and I really appreciate you saying that because that's you know that, that's what I want to do. I mean, it's it's nothing that. Um, you know, I'm not making millions and millions of dollars off this book by any means, um, and I kudos to those that are. are. And I, but I think that um, regardless of even if that was a situation for me one day, you know, being able to give something back in general, um, I think is somewhat of a responsibility for artists, and I think in any way, shape, or form. And I and I think that as long and you'd be surprised um, how appreciative people are, even if it's something small or if it's something larger, but. Um, I always worked with the charities that were willing, were willing to work with me. It wasn't, it wasn't something that I wanted to look at the burden for them. Like, oh, here comes another guy trying to come in and you know, yeah, use our name and get big and stuff like that. When you know, we work really hard with our charities to let them know that look, we're your guys for this month. You tell us what you want to do. We'll send it out as many times as you want. We'll tweet. We'll post. I'll talk about interviews. Whatever you want me to do. So it was. Um, <laughs> It's been, a, it's been a lot of fun, and I, I really have enjoyed every, every part of, of reaching out to people. Well, and there you go. Um, we're all Writers and artists are creative people, and we sometimes get stuck in our heads with our marketing ideas, and you came up with a perfect marketing idea that fits in with your own personal philosophy, 
and fits in with your book style and helps other people at the same time. And, you know, I don't want to... I don't want to beat it to death, but I want our listeners to realize that, you know, think about the things that you're doing already that you could enhance by, you know, bringing your work to them, whether it's your art or whether it's your writing or your photography or whatever. What is there that you can do um, for the charities you support or for the churches or for whatever and and see if there's some kind of synergy that you can build. I mean, obviously, if, if you're Fifty Shades of Grey, you're not going to take them to the church group. You know, be, be cognizant. But, you know, see if there's a way that you can, you know, expand your presence and get out of your comfort zone by going out and, and being with groups of people that really could use your time and energy. And it doesn't have to be a charity. It can be a, a local youth group. It can be you know, whatever, you know, help some kids put on a play, do just something within your community. Yeah, and I, I think that, I think that everybody, you'd be surprised what you can find if you really just start to think about what you enjoy doing, what you, what other causes are maybe out there you can assist you with, and I'm, I don't want to, I don't want to burden every writer with saying that you have to go ahead and donate your money or donate your time, whatever it is, but um, be surprised what people are, what will be thankful for and when you when someone, when you put a smile on somebody's face or taking notice in what they're doing um, yep. it, it's tremendous and so and let's face it I don't care what any artist will tell you or any writer you know you do work to entertain people period you do it for I mean yes you do it for yourself I mean I I would I would still tell my daughter stories and I draw my daughter pictures that I never published and I never and I never show anybody else but you know I didn't do the process of purple to be quiet about it. That would have been a waste of my time. I mean, if I wouldn't keep it in my house, that's fine. But I took the notion to put this out in people's hands. So why would I want to back off and act like it's no big deal that it's out there? I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I want people to 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 read the book and to enjoy it. And that's that's part of the job of an artist. If, if you want, if you don't want anybody to see it, then you know, don't go on stage and don't go in a gallery and don't go on the radio or don't go on TV. But if you're willing to do that part, I think there's a follow-up responsibility regarding how you reach out to people. That's perfect. Um, I was just going to say, so what is, like, you know, one piece of advice you would give someone? Um, maybe let's go back to the writing process. So, like, what is one piece of advice you would give someone that's getting started? Um, and from your unique perspective as, you know, as an illustrator that might be considering doing an illustrated book. Well, I think that one is that is, is absolutely better stop. I mean, the, 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 literary, the literary world is a jungle of madness and re, uh, rejection and criticism. I mean, it's really the art world in general, too. And, and I, I'm not even trying to um, be sarcastic. I think anybody that's ever experienced trying to get their work out there is not an easy thing. And rejection is absolutely a part of it. But... Um, I've met writers and artists that <clears throat> they've been rejected and so they give up. But it's sitting there in their house or in their lap or on their computer and just sitting there. And I'm like, well, you know, just keep plugging at it. Just send it, keep sending it out. Keep talking to people. Keep talking to people. I mean, any person that's tried to get an agent in this life has known that it is, I, I think it's like, you know, 0.001% of the world has ever nailed it on the first maybe five or ten times. <laughs> Most people are, are hitting the, the double, triple digits. And that's just a part of, that's like the first level process of how things work on the bigger scheme. But to get published or to get an agent or to get in a gallery or to 
see your work outside, being told no or that this is not for me or this is never going to work out for you is, I mean, it's about as common as every day. I mean, it's, you just have to get used to that part and understand that's the way it is, but never stop doing it. That is just defeats the purpose of really doing something that you enjoy because someone else doesn't like it's not really going to be, it should not be the reason why you stop doing something. And that's a great point because, you know, we all know the stories about the famous authors who were all rejected, you know, the first times around, you know, Stephen King, uh, you know, J.K. Rowling, some of the other folks that were rejected. And um, I can't remember who it was, but I also remember that there was a, a very famous writer who was quite published, quite well published, and he wrote something under a pen name and, you know, submitted it and it got rejected. And, you know, it's like when he let people know what his real name was, they were like, oh, we're sorry, we'll put it out right now, you know. And it's like, wait a minute, if you didn't like it under this pen name, why do you suddenly like it with my name attached to it? So. Well, yeah, that's exactly. I mean, there's the same reason why, you know, know, the cast of the Jersey Shorts get books published, but other people (laughs) who have been writing for years can't. I mean, there's an obvious reason why certain books get published and certain don't, and that's somewhat to be a business decision and somewhat to be um, a t- uh, what, what your personal taste is. So, but that's, again, that is just, <clears throat> that's a good example of really how, how, uh, how, how the market works and how the market relates to, to writers and, uh, and senior work. But it doesn't, it doesn't, uh, rejection, it doesn't really mean the end all be all. I have been rejected hundreds and hundreds. If I were to do a Google search in my, in my own Gmail account to, for the word query, I mean, I would have thousands and thousands of emails with, you know, with nothing with that went nowhere. So I think that that's just part of the process people have to understand and be okay with it. And it's it's incredibly, it hurts to hear people say, look, it's just not for me and it's just not my thing. But, um, you know, that's, just, that's not the end all. I don't think anybody has never nailed it the first time out the gate. No, I don't think so. And if they did, it was by some stroke of genius that they happened to know the head of the company or something. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You know, just, um, you know, in the real world, things take time. And also, um, I know that a lot of folks have mentioned that throughout the rejection process that they've, um, you know, not all the rejections were the standard form letters and that they learned, you know, something that they needed to do based on some of the rejection letters that gave them, you know, a little nugget of advice or a little piece of encouragement. You know, like you said, this isn't for us, but, or, you know, this isn't for us. And then you think in your mind, well, why isn't it for them? What, what, what would I need to change to make it be for them? So, you know, the rejection process doesn't have to be looked at as such a negative thing. It can be, you know, it, it can be your way of making uh, making sure you're true to your book and decide if, you know, if it being rejected means you need to change it in some way. And if it means you need to change it in some way, is it a way that you can live with? Or yeah. or do you need to keep it the way it is, whether anybody will publish it or not? And that's true. And I think that that's a decision you have to make. And I think that it's, you know... Artists, artists are very stubborn. You know, we see things a certain way that are recreated, and that's the way they should be. And I agree with that. But um, <clears throat> I think that if there's a certain level of ego that you need to get over and realize if somebody is with you that's going to, that's willing to make this work, your work better, or collaborate, or help you out, um, and make a make a good piece, 
you have to you have to accept that or at least investigate that. I mean, if somebody were to come to me and be like, "Look, Richie, you know, we'll give you a movie deal for Purple. You know, we're going to every theater in the entire world, but we're going to make them, um, you know, a purple elephant um, <laughs> that has, you know, five tails, and it doesn't. I would, I bet, me, I would just be, well, that's not really, it's not my character. That's right. totally different, you yeah. know. But if they say, well, you know, let's make them a little bit taller, whatever, I don't care. You know, it's there's certain give and takes you have to do, and um, there's a certain level of your ego you have to let go of. I think whichever form of, of, of work you're going to do, if so if if someone if someone takes an interest to at least hear out certain views, and then again, it's up to you at the end of the day. You can easily pass, you can easily um, accept it, however you like. But um, you'd be surprised if you just left a little door open for some advice or some uh, thought. You'd be surprised what happens. Yeah, and now the other thing that I just thought of is um, I ask a lot of authors about their editing process because um, there's. 99% of them tell me that they go to an outside editor. But when you're working on an illustrated book, what's the process involved in editing? Do you have a professional editor that looks over your books or are you pretty sure when they're done that there's, you know, that there's no if you're if you're doing rhyming, it's pretty easy to not need editing is what I'm what I'm leaning towards is do you need editing or did you use an editor at all no I absolutely used a professional editor um, okay. I used somebody that was I used somebody that um, was 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 very well was very well qualified somebody that had written for a long time and somebody that I trusted um, and again actually somebody that was really that wasn't in the children's book industry I wanted them to that <clears throat> their work was uh, with more nonfiction and more journalist based and I wanted that aspect really just to check to make sure as an outsider of children's books, what do you how would you how does this make sense to you? And the feedback and the editorial comments I got were fantastic. And it went back and forth and back and forth. And there were some times where, you know, I said, Well look, you know, when you're reading this, to me it, it reads like, you know, the beat, the beat, the beat, and this. And that's how I read it. And then when they, they looked at it and they said, Okay, well that, okay, when I see it that way you know, leaving this word or leaving or leaving this plural just makes sense, and that was okay. So it was a, it was a very positive give and take, and it was a uh, a very good way to look at how how to approach my work. But I wanted to always to make sure that at the end of the day, I had um, you know other expertise outside of my own grasp that I could lean on to say you know what are your thoughts and give me your take. And I think that's really important. We you know we discuss a lot about editors and. You know, like I said, only about one percent edit themselves and and don't um, don't use an outside editor. Do you also use beta readers? That's a word I just learned. <laughs> uh, no, no, actually, no, I don't. I only use um, the only editor, the only editorial I use are um, are, are uh, the colleague of mine that again that I trust with the work. Right. That's about as that's about as far as the editorial uh, process I do. Okay. Um, all right. Well, this has been a great interview. I I love talking to you as as an artist and as a writer. Not that writers aren't artists; it's just a different kind of art. Um, <laughs> I catch myself in these little things where I don't want to get myself in trouble. Um, do you have any parting thoughts you would give someone that's that's thinking about going down the road of creating a children's book? Well, I think that um, you know, for one, oh, keep keep writing down your ideas. Again, uh, you know. Don't take my advice about swerving off the side of the road. I don't recommend that. Um, you know, but I, I think that that is your own method. But um, you know, under, understand that 
in, in this in, in this industry is not a um, it's not easy. It's not enjoyable at all the time. But if it's something that you truly like in any other job or career in your life, it, there there are certain steps you have to take, and nothing is overnight. And um, it's just it's just a, it's a long process. But there are a lot of communities out there for different different forms of, of writing and different forms of art that people talk and there's forums and if you go on Facebook or LinkedIn, uh, different pages, different groups you can join that people are sharing their experiences and you know, I made a ton and ton and ton of mistakes and I still do to this day and um, it's but each one I, I tend to learn something new about what happens and that's that's probably the best way is just talking to other people out there and finding out really what people are the correct way to either submit work to somebody. Um, that's a really quick way to get rejected just by not following the right guidelines. I, I've had that happen to myself too. But, um, and just finding out, you know, being, treating your work as professional and making sure that you, you do everything uh, the proper way to make sure that people will look at you as, as a professional, but also just be willing to accept things that um, may need to be adjusted and also just really, really uh, join the community that you're in. And you'd be surprised at the people you can meet and all the different things you can learn that way. That's that's awesome advice. Well, Richie, once again, thank you so much for being our guest tonight. Can you, um, a lot of people listen to our podcasts via um, iTunes and not necessarily will see the show notes. So can you tell us where people can find you on the Internet? Yes, uh, you can find me at www.richiefreeman.com. That's R I. D H I E F is in Frank R I E M A N um, dot com, and you can also just Google the word Turple T is in Tom E R P L E, and uh, please connect with me. Find me on Twitter as well at Richie Freeman, and I look forward to hearing from everybody. Yep, we we all also like to encourage um, all of you that are out there listening to please stop by bookgoodies.com and do a search for Richie Freeman or for Turple, and I'm sure we'll show up in the in the search results on the Book Goodies site. And, you know, leave us some comments. Let us know what you think. Um, I'd, I'd be especially interested. And like I said, I have no kids, and I'm going to go get the book. Because <laughs> it just sounds <laughs> fascinating to me. And I like a well-illustrated uh, rhyming book. Um, you can also follow Book Goodies on Twitter, twitter.com slash bookgoodies. That's with an I-E-S. And on Facebook, it's facebook.com slash bookgoodies. And we would like to thank geekcast.fm for hosting all of our podcasts. And you can find me personally. You can find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash loxley, L-O-X-L-Y. And you can find my uh, my own personal website is debracarney.com. But again, we really want you to go to bookgoodies.com and leave us some comments on the podcast so we know that you enjoyed it and that you want us to keep doing these. And uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Keep writing, and have a great day. Thank you.